one-on-one -on -one rolls on here on WFUV. It's New York's longest-running sports call-in show. We're very glad you have continued to join us. I'm Dylan Balsamo, Kayla Wenzel here with me for this interview, and we're very lucky to have Dave Zirin here with us. He's the sports editor of The Nation. He's the host of the Edge of Sports podcast. He has a new book out called The Kaepernick Effect, Taking a Knee, Changing the World. What an honor it is to talk with you, Dave. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. So, you know, obviously, and I'm sure you've gotten this question a thousand times in the, um, in the press you've been doing for this book. So when did the idea to put this and all of this stuff that we have been following for the last really half decade into book form, when did that idea come about? Well, first and foremost, uh, the book is about, it's not about Colin Kaepernick. It's called The Kaepernick Effect. It's not about Colin Kaepernick. It's about the people who replicated what he did, particularly young people taking a knee during the anthem to protest police brutality and racial inequity, and how that experience of them taking a knee affected themselves, affected their teams, and affected their communities. That's the book. And I got this idea for doing it really at the start of the pandemic, uh, early in 2020, thinking about all of the, um, the times these protests had taken place, and I felt like it was getting memory hold that you know we weren't really remembering it that when people were talking about the kaepernick experience it was always about uh you know whether or not he was being for, was forced out of the nfl it was about you know how the, the media response to him it was would he ever get signed and i thought wait a minute what about all the thousands literally thousands of young athletes who really took his baton and ran with it what happened to them so that's how the book started but then in the summer of 2020, we had the largest protests in the history of the United States after the murder of George Floyd. And that's when the book really changed for me. And I started thinking about the ways in which those kneeling protests may have led to the size of those protests in 2020. And you know, I went back and called the people who I'd already interviewed and found out that most of them were either in the streets or organizing in 2020. And so it's clear to me that while many roads led to the summer of 2020, one of them runs straight through the athletic fields of the United States. Yeah, I think that that's entirely fair, especially conversation sort of surrounding Colin Kaepernick's actions changed this summer. I feel like um, when it happened in 2016, it wasn't really something that people I remember on Twitter, it was such an outrage over it. How could somebody kneel? It was such a conversation. And now, especially following this 2020s past summer, it just, all of that changed. And no one was like really upset about what he was doing. Everybody understood it. So like he was definitely a way maker sort of ahead of his time, I think, in that. Yeah, there, there are two things about that. I mean, the first was just the sheer enormity and size of the protests in 2020 forced a lot of people who were either on the sidelines or hostile to reassess what they were thinking. Not everybody, it made some, some people, certainly a faction in this country, far more brutal, far more uh, anti, the far, far more pro-police, far more, uh, so many things. I mean, we, we know that exists in this country, um, but it, it also affected people in the other way as well. I think the other thing about 2020 that shifted people's thoughts about Kaepernick was just that that, that absolutely viciously iconic image of Derek Chauvin taking a knee on George Floyd's neck. And for a lot of people, that viciously iconic image was counterposed to a very peacefully iconic image of Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. So the juxtaposition of those two knees, I mean, you know, it doesn't take a, 
you know, a bachelor's degree from Fordham to realize that, you know, this was something very profound, that juxtaposition of images. So you saw, you know, a lot of people at demonstrations having posters that represented that, like a tale of two knees. Dave Zirin here on One on One talking about his new book, uh, The Kaepernick Effect. Now, something I was very interested in, and you mentioned just how tumultuous of a year 2020 was, and it felt like a lot of this country had a real reckoning of, of thoughts they thought had really crossed their minds but really hadn't yet. Uh, I'm curious, as, as, as things rolled on, as, as the protests rolled on for, I think, weeks longer than a lot of people expected them to, and, you know, events seemed to go on, the murder of Jacob Blake last September, uh, perhaps even the presidential election, the insurrection that uh, was after that. So many things kept happening. Did you have to keep going back and changing things? And were you at all worried that putting the book out right now and something might happen a couple days from now that you wouldn't be able to include in it? Well, most books, unless you're doing an absolute straight history, are what we call moving targets. Yeah. And at some point, you got to step away from the portrait. At one point, you got to just put your last brush stroke, step back and say, all right, it doesn't belong to me anymore. I got to just put it out there. And so that's pretty much what I had to do. Like, I mean, I felt frankly fortunate enough that I didn't put the book in the can before the protests of 2020 and was able to go back and interview people like that was just like, okay, you know, that that's a good way to try to formulate the book. If I was still writing the book right now, I would also write about the, what I think has been a backlash in 2021 against a lot of these same political athletes, the reassertion of hierarchy in professional sports, the desire to get the business rolling again as people feel more confident to go out and sit in the stands and you know practice the, the traditional kinds of fandom that we spent a year not being able to do. So, but at some point you really do have to take a step back, put down the brush and say, it's not mine. Yeah, and sort of touching on that, where do you really feel like the responsibility lies for athletes to be politically active? I know that we've kind of gotten to this moment where athletes speak out all the time on their individual platforms. Um, and sometimes they receive pushback from that, that some people claim that ESPN shouldn't be talking about politics or something like that. And you especially mentioned the youth in your book and about young athletes. So where do you feel like their place is in this movement? Well, I mean, I've always believed that if people are political, they should feel like they didn't sign away their rights to be political because they're athletes. If people don't feel like they have something to say about politics, then that's their business too. You know, I don't think people should feel pressured to have to do it. Uh, but one of the remarkable things about Kaepernick when he took that knee was that it was one of those moments, it was one of those you can't be neutral on a moving train moments. And at that time, it wasn't good enough just to say, well, I don't have an opinion or I don't talk politics. Like at that point, it was really a moment where you had to see what Kaepernick was doing as something that you had to take a side on. And so, and that pissed a lot of athletes off because that was the last thing they wanted to do was actually have to say something. I'm thinking of people like Tom Brady, but the pressure was there for them to do so because the moment had reached such a high pitch. So I guess I'll say in normal times, it's, it's your business. You know, if you want to be political, be political. If you don't, don't jump on the person who does, you know, but when things reach that kind of a fever pitch, you got to be conscious of the fact that if you don't, take a side, people will view that as taking a side. 
again here with Dave Zirin here uh, on one-on-one, -on -one, you know, in, in, in talking about taking sides um, and just the nature of sports, I, I, I saw you uh, say in an interview the other day that uh, you can't separate uh, politics and sports in, in any kind of way. And I think, you know, specifically people like uh, Kayla and I's age are, are really coming to that realization as we uh, come of age in a really tumultuous time. But, you know, for you, um, was that a realization that you had as a young sports fan or is that something you came to uh, realize as an adult? Well, like you, it was college and probably like you both, it happened not because of something I read, but it happened because of things happening in the real world. Um, when I was in college, there was a basketball player named Mahmoud Abdul Raouf who made the decision that he wasn't going to come out for the national anthem. And that had a huge effect on me, especially when I saw a conversation about it on ESPN where someone was saying, well, Raouf must see himself in the tradition of activist athletes like Muhammad Ali, Tommy Smith, John Carlos, Billie Jean King. I had never heard that phrase before, activist athlete. And I thought of myself as being a huge sports fan. And so that was something for me that flipped a switch where I started to then research. I mean, we didn't, you know, I'm gonna sound old as all freaking hell, but we didn't have Google. Like I couldn't search up activist athlete and read 50 articles about it. I had to go to the library and do some digging. And, you know, there's a benefit to that too, about putting in some sweat equity to try to find some truths. And that's really what changed me. And then I read a book that, you know, because I was in that mode, a book called uh, Redemption Song, Muhammad Ali and the Spirit of the 60s. And I love that book so much because it was about the history of Ali and what he did, but it also had the verve and energy of really good sports writing. And that's really when it clicked for me that, oh, this is what I want to do for a living. And you mentioned sort of how like it became like your political, I guess, awakening sort of happened in college. And I know that in your book, you talk to a lot of high school athletes. So I wonder, how do you feel that difference? Do you feel like they have a full understanding of exactly like the severity of these issues. I mean, now that we have like everything like Google, social media, I feel like it's a lot more widespread or do you feel like it wasn't like the dichotomy between you said you speak to professionals and also high school students. Like, how do you feel those to be different? Yeah, I spoke to professionals, college and high school. And I thought those high school students had, a, were, had much more on the ball than a lot of the adults in their lives. Uh, who told them to sit down and shut up or adults who even like spoke about them behind their backs or even rallied other students against them. I mean, people dealt with some horrible stuff. And I I'm just so impressed. I mean, some of this is, is colored by the fact that I have a 17 year old daughter. I, I am so impressed with the generation of people who are coming up. It's a more demographically diverse generation than any we've had in US history. And it's less tolerant of intolerance than any generation we've ever had in US history. And, um, and they understand that they are walking into a very tumultuous world and that they wanna say something about it. And I'm just so impressed by it because I was political in, high, in college, partly because I have to be honest, it was easy to be political in college. There were political people. I got to hang out with them, all the rest of it. In high school, forget about it. You know, I was so worried about what people think of you, so worried about peer pressure, especially me who played sports, so worried that I would upset my coach or my teammates. I mean, there's this built-in conservatizing pressure when you're on a sports team. And when I say conservatizing, I don't mean right wing. I mean, conservatizing as in it makes you small C conservative about speaking out and being your own person. And, oh, that would be my dog. And so, so that's what um, we're dealing with in total is incredible pride 
in even being associated, I feel, in even being associated with some of these high school students because their bravery is really important. And that's why, and I'm not saying this to be self-aggrandizing in any way, but that's why um, the, my proceeds from this book are gonna be given to a mutual aid organization in DC called Serve Your City. Because you know, the, I, I just was kept thinking about these young people who had sacrificed and I didn't want to make money off of their sacrifice. So instead, I'm giving the money to this mutual aid group that works with young people. Dave Zirin here on one on one. We I just have one more question for you uh, uh, before we let you go. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a broader one. So I guess we won't get to all of it. But just uh, something that I, I know personally I, I've worried about and just in, in specifically watching people take a knee uh, much more often over the last year or so sure. is um, how much their their bosses, whether they be in athletics or how much it has become uh, something we've seen done in Congress, it, it's become almost standardized to that point. Mm -hmm. and, and I know at least personally that concerns me that if it's a performative activism that becomes too structured, then it's really not doing any uh, significant work. So where do you think that uh, line lies between what is showing support for someone who is of a, let's say a lower mm -hmm. class level than you are uh, and, and, and really just showing something for show. Well, it, there, there's a degree to which it has become in some circles, very performative. Uh, it, it, the most striking example of that are on some of the marches in 2020, where police would take a knee in front of protesters, basically turning the knee into a symbol of unity. Like let's talk about it when it's not supposed to be a symbol of unity. It's actually supposed to be a symbol of confrontation. And I think where I draw the line is like, you know, in politics, there's an old expression, timing is everything. And uh, I, I think like there's a huge difference if you take the knee because your boss said it was okay and it's part of some sort, it's part of some structured team event. There's a big difference between that and doing it in Beaumont, Texas, because there was a recently a racist incident and you feel like you have to have something to say about it. So it's all about context and when we judge, like, so there's no blanket statement that says, oh, a knee is passe, or as Jay-Z said, you know, the time for kneeling is over, blah, blah, blah. There, there's actually, that's actually not true. Uh, the time for kneeling is as long as there's injustice and as long as it makes people uncomfortable. Well, that is Dave Zirin. His new book, The Kaepernick Effect, Taking a Knee, Changing the World, will be available by the time that you hear or watch or see this. Uh, Dave, I've been an admirer of yours uh, for years. I'm very uh, grateful you've come to join us, and thanks for talking to us. No, thank you. You're both uh, very good at your jobs. I hope you do it for decades to come. That's nice of you to say. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Kayla Wenzel, and I'm Dylan Balsamo here on One on One. We got a lot more show coming up around the corner, so stay tuned.